0: If there's one thing that you need to know about the Christian faith, about what Christians believe, uh, what's at the center, what's of first importance is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That he died on the cross for our sins, that he died as our substitute, he died as a sacrifice to take our place. One of the things that we ought not to forget is what Jesus saves us from. He saves us from God's judgment. Now the institution in the Old Testament that displays this more than any other is the Passover. That is the the plague that God sent on the nation of of Egypt where he judged the firstborn and where the blood of the lamb covered the door and covered them. So in the same way Jesus Christ is our substitute. He is our sacrifice. He is the one who dies in our place So that we don't face the judgment of God. One other thing that we see in the Passover is the need to remember. The message that is of first importance that is at the center of the Christian life. At the center of the Christian message is that Jesus died in our place. Died in the place of sinners. And we think, we typically assume that we know that. And that we're keeping it in its proper place. And that we have no problem remembering it or passing it down to anybody else. And the whole history of the Bible, all the scriptures show us that we have far too much confidence in ourselves and in our ability to remember that often we forget that often what is at the center and often what is of first importance is sidelined and assumed and we often fail to pass it on from generation to generation we fail to remember it what i hope you'll see today is that jesus christ did die in our place he is the lamb of god who takes away our sins who takes away the sins of the world and that we ought to remember that we ought to keep that at the center remembering it continually, uh, that He is the one who died to forgive us. He's the one who died to cleanse us. He's the one who died to transform us. Today we're going to start in Exodus 11. Exodus 11. And the first thing that we're going to read about is the plague. We'll read about the plague, the actual plague, the last plague that God is sending on the nation of Egypt, the plague. We're going to read all of Exodus 11. Exodus 11 a shorter chapter, Exodus 11, the plague. This is what it says. Uh, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask, every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as has never been, nor ever will be. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me, and all all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. There's one more plague, and we shouldn't be surprised about what it is. Way back in chapter 4, uh, God had said, uh, He had said through Moses to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. That is, God had set his affection, set his love on Israel, the, the, the one who was in the ancient world, the, the one who was going to, the, the, the one who was loved, the one who was going to uh, have this place of status in the family, who was going to watch over the family, who was, who was the, the, the love of the father. Well, God had set his love, God had set his favor on Israel. This is my firstborn son. If you don't let him go, I'll kill your firstborn son. Uh, Now, God also says to uh, Moses, this is going to be the last one. This is the last plague. After this, you'll go out. After this, he's going to let you go. And he tells uh, Moses, you know, go and tell the Israelites to go and tell all the, uh, to to ask the Egyptians for all their silver and gold. Ask them for their money. Can you imagine doing this? Go and knock on your neighbor's house. He says, you know. Around our, around our neighborhood, it's like we're going to offer cookies. But this is going to knock on their house and say, hey, can we have your silver and gold? And what happens is that God, God changes the hearts of the Egyptians. They're ready to give all these things to the Israelites. They give them all their gold and silver. Now, what favor looked like in, in this sense is, is not easy to understand. But they were ready to give all these things to the Israelites. And this is the way... That Israel plundered the Egyptians. This is how an enslaved people uh, that that had no notoriety in the ancient world, that was not a great civilization, uh, who is enslaved by another people, how they plunder the greatest civilization on the planet at the time. Probably the greatest civilization that had come up on the earth up until that point. How does that happen? It demonstrates that it can only happen by God. God is the one who does it. And it illustrates the point for all of us that God is the one who saves us. God is the one who acts for us. Israel, Israel, they are just bystanders. They're just watching while God saves. And and in a very real sense, that's what what we do. We, we 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 don't pay for our sins. We don't We don't pay God back for our sins. We don't. We don't do anything to earn our 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 earn favor with God. We we look. Jesus said, John three, I will be lifted up, and and that will pay for people's sins. You'll look at Jesus. You'll put your faith in Jesus. You'll be saved by Jesus, not by yourself. We're just watching. We know that God works in and through people, but this illustrates that ultimately God works for us. We are beneficiaries. We are, we are the heirs. We are the bystanders who watch as God saves us. Now, God describes for Pharaoh, describes through Moses for Pharaoh what this is going to be like, uh, and it's God is going to wait until the, the middle of the night, the deepest, darkest time of the night, and he's going to go through Egypt. And he is going to kill the firstborn son in every household. From the highest official, even Pharaoh himself, all the way down to the lowest uh, slave girl. The one who grinds the grain in the kitchen. Uh, Even down to the cattle. That's kind of to say, uh, everybody from the very, very highest to the very, very lowest. Every firstborn in Egypt is going to die. And in the middle of the night, there's going to be this cry. Every household the cry of God's judgment coming upon them because of their unrepentant sin. Earlier, Israel had, same word, had cried out to God because of their harsh and bitter slavery. Here, the Egyptians are crying out because of the judgment of God. When we think about what it means to be saved, don't forget what we're saved From that, we are saved from the judgment of God. That God would judge us for our sins unless Jesus Christ takes our place on the cross. Unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God judges us for our sins. But if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God is able to make a distinction between us and those who are unbelieving. You see that here. In, in the place where the Israelites are, the dog is not going to growl. I mean, it's going through people's trash. No, not, not on tonight. Not going to be a growl, not going to be a bark. Not among the Israelites. It shows that God is, God is able to make a distinction. God's, God's judgment is coming upon all the earth, but because of Jesus Christ, God distinguishes between those who are His and those who remain in their sin, who remain unrepentant. We see the power of God's judgment, and yet at the same time, we don't have to fear it because Jesus Christ takes our place. Well, God sums up for for Moses. He says, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied on the earth. We saw last week, chapter 9, that God God raised up Pharaoh so that God's name, the Lord's name, would be proclaimed in all the earth. Chapter 10, he said, I have done all these things so that you would tell your sons and your grandsons about what God did to save Israel from slavery. Here again, God is saying, I am going to use Pharaoh. Pharaoh's this most powerful man. If you thought that anybody had independence and autonomy, it would be Pharaoh and God says, I am going to show my wonders in the earth through him. And kind of, there's this summation in the last verse. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. This is what God has been doing all through. God did these signs and wonders, signs and wonders to free Israel from slavery to bring judgment on the Egyptians, and to display his power in all the earth. This is the, the work of God, to show his power, both his power to save and his power to judge. And so we see the plague. Let's not forget the judgment that we're saved from. Next, we see the Lamb. Let's turn over to chapter 12. To chapter 12, we see the Lamb. Let's read verses 1 through 13. Verses 1 through 13. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Up until this point, the, the narrative, the account has been moving from event to event, from encounter to encounter, uh, from plague to plague, and now everything slows way down. And God gives them this feast that they are going to observe every year. It is, it is fundamental to the existence of the Israelite nation that the Lamb dies in their place. Without the lamb dying in their place, without the lamb's blood covering their sins, there is no existence for the nation of Israel. You're going to make this the, your first month. Uh, on, the, on the 10th of the month, so you're going to have four full days until the 14th of the month, you're going to make, time, make sure that you have plenty of time for preparing all these things, making sure everything is in order. It's a time of preparation. You're going to take the, the lamb, or it could be a, a, a goat kid, You're gonna take it and you're gonna calculate how many people are in your household and have one lamb per household. If if you need if if that's too much, you're gonna go to your neighbor and you're gonna you're gonna bring them into your house and you're gonna calculate. Because you know why you're calculating? Because you're not eating this for breakfast the next day. The next day, after four hundred and thirty years in slavery in Egypt, you're leaving. You roast it. You know, you're not going to throw the, uh, the, the lamb roast or the goat roast in the crock pot, okay? You're not going to let it cook all day. You are roasting it at night. You're, you're eating unleavened bread. You don't have time for it to rise. You don't have time for it to proof. You're, 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 you're eating unleavened bread because you need to go, You you normally kick off your, your shoes at the door. You usually leave your staff at the door. No, this time you're going to be sitting at the table with your staff in your hand and your shoes on your feet and you're all going to be eating this. You're going to be staying up all night and the next day you're going to be ready to go. One of the things that we've seen in some of the plagues is that there are opportunities for people to demonstrate whether or not they really believe the word of the Lord. Well, If you are eating unleavened bread, which is not the way that people normally like to eat their bread. They normally don't like to eat crackers. They like more filling. If you're eating unleavened bread, you're eating bitter herbs. These would be the herbs that don't come from the vegetable garden. The ones that they could go and uh, scrounge uh, around for out in the desert. Uh, They're eating roasted lamb. They're eating it with their shoes on, their staff in their hand. They are showing we believe God's liberating us tonight. We believe in God's word. We believe in what God is saying. Everybody who believes God's word, you can see it. Because they're, they're doing what God said. And put the blood over the door. This is going to be the thing to cover them. Uh, so that God passes over them. Doesn't kill the firstborn in their houses. He's going to pass through. This is going to be the sign. One of the things you see there is that verse 12 God is going to judge all the gods of Egypt. Now, what is a God? A a God is what you trust in to keep you alive and to save you from death. The Egyptians have been trusting in other gods. They've Already seen God judge, uh, say, the God of the Nile or their fertility God or or their sun God. They've seen God judge these gods in their plagues. But fundamentally, what is a God? A God is what you trust in and hope in to save you from death and to give you life. And God is saying, I'm going to show that there's only one God who can give life. This is the reason why we trust in and worship and obey Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives us eternal life. He is the one who is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who gives the bread of life. He is the one who makes us so that we will live with him forever and ever. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us life. We well, see all the preparation here and the ways that they show faith and the way that God has prepared all these things. For every Christian, you have to look at the Lamb. When we read the New Testament, we see who the Lamb is. John focuses on this in John 1. He says, uh, he, he, he has uh, John the Baptist, records John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's looking at Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Egypt. The Egyptians are dying for their sins. We would be dying in our sins. Except that Jesus Christ died in our place. John records later on in John 19 that they did not break Jesus' legs. He is the lamb without blemish. Normally it wouldn't matter what kind of lamb you get. You know, a, a blind lamb tastes just as good as a, blind, as a lamb that can see. But a sacrificial lamb has to be without blemish. Has to be pure has to be innocent, has to be righteous. Jesus Christ is the righteous, innocent lamb who dies in our place so that we would have life. In 1 Peter 2, sorry, 1 Peter 1, Peter says, Peter writes that we were ransomed, we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We weren't ransomed with with money, we weren't ransomed with silver or gold or any other precious thing. We were ransomed with the most precious thing In existence. The the blood of the Lamb Jesus Christ. His blood that is shed for our sins is more precious than silver or gold or anything that we could acquire or accumulate. Jesus Christ is the one who dies for us. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5. Christ is our Passover Lamb. He is the one who died in our place. It is... Easy for this to become insignificant to our minds and our hearts. We think that at one time in the past that we signed on. Yes, we signed on with Jesus and we understand this. But God put in the scriptures over and over again this message. You need, you need, he says it over and over again, you need a sacrifice to die in your place. Your sins separate you from God. Unless there is a lamb, unless there is a sacrifice, unless there is a redemption price paid for your life, you face the judgment of God. Jesus Christ is the one who dies in our place. Let's turn from all other gods that can't save our life. Let's turn from everything else that we will hope will give us comfort or security. And let's put our confidence in the Lamb of God who dies for our sins, who takes away our sins. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. We've seen the Lamb. The last thing that we're going to see today is the memorial. Pick up in verse 14. Pick up in verse 14. We'll read through verse 28. That's what it says. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, and for if anyone eats what is leaven, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. On the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but whatever everyone needs to eat... That alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. <clears throat> then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord... You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. This whole Passover thing is going to become a memorial day, a memorial feast. It's going to be, uh, you're going to start on the first day, which is going to be the Passover night. You observe the Passover, and all that week, no leaven, you know, no, no, no sandwich bread, no, no spongy loaf. You're going to eat essentially a, a kind of unleavened cracker all week. It's, a, it's, a, it's something to say, remember what happened. You had to leave. You had to leave in a hurry. You had to be prepared. You're going to, you're going to sacrifice the lamb every year. To remember what God did for you, how God wondrously acted to save you from slavery, save you from death. You're going to do this every year. You're going to be doing it for year after year after year, from generation to generation, remembering what God did for you. Uh, There are going to be those who are not going to take it if they eat leavened bread during this time Uh, they're going to be cut off now that the most natural way to read that is as uh, being banished or cut off from the group in some way Uh, some commentators try and maintain that they are simply self-selecting out whatever it is your participation in the meal is a way of demonstrating that I had a part in this you're you're reenacting what happened You're reenacting that God saves us. That that not only did this happen for the first generation, but this happened for every generation. This happened for me. Every Israelite, every year, remembering this is not something that happened just to my parents or my grandparents or my great, 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 great grandparents. This is what God did for me. He made a people. If it were not for what God did to save, I'd be lost. Now, one of the things that uh, low church Protestants are sometimes uh, suspicious of is any kind of rite or ceremony or form. And I understand why. You know, in the history of the church, you can kind of see how uh, man-made ceremonies or rites or, or rituals have been imposed on people in harmful ways. You can see how that happens. I also think that there might be some worldliness in us that keeps us from forms and rituals and ceremonies, from seeing their, their true significance. Uh, rights that get passed down from generation to generation, they carry a kind of authority. And we're a little bit anti-authoritarian. You're going you're gonna to tell me what I have to do on a certain day? You're going to tell me I have to do it a certain way? I don't, I don't really like that. I don't, like, I don't like the traditions of the past having some kind of, uh, of, of uh, power over me or authority over me. We also, as a culture, as a wider society, we prefer novelty. We like what's new. Uh, we like something that is, is, uh, appeals to, to our, our desire for, for something that is new and the latest and a little bit faddish and so we look for those things and our, our culture encourages us in this well, we live in a culture in a wider society that does not uh, is much more likely to mock ritual or ceremony or decorum than reverently observe it now then i think that we should be careful about the kinds of uh, rituals or ceremonies or forms that we might adopt but we most certainly should keep those rites or rituals or ceremonies or forms that God has commanded us to observe. And what's more, we shouldn't be looking for things uh, that are new and be always suspicious of what went before us. Nothing is, is true because it is old or new. It's true because it's true, it's what God has given us, or perhaps it might be something that is helpful for us. Now then, we're suspicious of these things, but the reality is is that Jesus Christ has given us a rite, R-I-T-E, a ritual by which we are to remember what is at the center of the Christian life, what is the central message of the Christian life. When Jesus and his disciples were were meeting the night before his death, the night of his betrayal. They were celebrating the Passover meal, but Jesus took this meal and he transformed it. And he transformed it to be a reenactment, not of the lamb taking the place of the Israelites so that they would go out of slavery in Egypt, but he took it as a reenactment and a, a proclamation and a, a picture and a memorial of his death for us. Jesus Christ took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember. You think you remember. Your memory is very bad. Your memory is not very bad because you have a bad intelligence. Your your memory is very bad because there is a remnant of sin in you that makes you not want to remember that Jesus died for your sins. He took, the, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember this. This is central. This is important. Don't forget this. Don't let this go. Hold on to this. You're going to forget a lot when you get old. I know we don't have anybody in here like that who's, who's forgetting things. But you, you forget things. This is the one thing that you will not want to forget in your life jesus body was broken for my sins jesus blood was poured out for my sins and the same way that those israelites who were celebrating this meal they were celebrating their participation in it i've got a part in it this lamb is for me when we reenact it or picture it or remember it we are saying this is this is for me this is not, we, we will call these things, things like this is, this is a formality or this is a meaningless ritual or this is a empty ritual. It might be that the ritual is not empty. It might be that our minds are empty. It might be that God's design for the right is that it would be meaningful each week when we do this, it would be meaningful. Each generation when we, when we do this, it would be meaningful. It would, be, it would call to mind that I am a sinner who needs Jesus to die for me. That's what it's supposed to recall. God made human beings and he, he works within the way that he made us. And when, people, when things are important, when things are central, when things, are, when things need to be remembered... What do human beings do? They come up with ceremonies and rites and rituals and forms to remember them from generation to generation. God said, I know. I made you that way. And so I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one so that you never forget that Jesus died for your sins. So don't forget. We repeat some of these words almost every week when we take the Lord's Supper. One of the things that we don't always uh, read or even normally read from 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through uh, 32. It says, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now then, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, I'm not trying to discourage you from taking the Lord's Supper. What I'm trying to encourage you to do is to see that the same way that the person who doesn't really, is not really understanding what the Passover is about, they're eating leavened bread, they're not really, they're kind of treating it in a, in a, in a in a casual way than the same way we we need to be thoughtful i want you to be encouraged to come and celebrate this is a it's a celebrate celebratory feast but but be engaged heart and mind remember it again one of the things that paul says that it is is he, he says that it is a proclamation it's God saying to us, Jesus saying to us, I died for you. It's my blood poured out for you. It's my body broken for you. And so don't take it in an unworthy way or don't do it without discerning the meaning of it that Jesus Christ laid down his life for a people. He laid down his life for me. And when I take it, I am participating in it. I am, I am signaling that it wasn't for anybody generally I'm putting my faith, I'm believing that it is for me. Don't make it an empty ritual. Make it a meaningful ritual. A meaningful practice that we continue week after week, year after year, generation after generation, so that we will remember that Jesus died for our sins. Now then, looking back at... uh, Exodus 12, God has told Moses what is going to happen. Now, Moses has to go and tell the people. Now, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but Moses has not been talking to the people. The last time that Moses talked to the people was back in chapter 4. He went and told them, God's going to liberate you, God's going to free you. And then they worshiped and they believed. And then in chapter 5, Things went from bad to worse and they had to make bricks without straw and things got worse and worse and worse. But what has happened over the course of that time? Well, God has displayed his wonders to the Israelites. So now they believe. Now, they're, now they worship God again and they're ready to obey God. Now then focus in on verses 24 through 27. Look at again the, the purpose of this, this service or this memorial, this rite. Verse 24, he says, You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land the Lord will give you, notice that part of the promise that he's not only promising to get them out of Egypt, he's promising to get them into the land. When you get to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. Now, what if there was a kids' table for the Passover? I mean, what if all the adults moved over to the big table and they're all standing there in their shoes and... and uh, and, and holding their staffs and eating the roasted lamb and the unleavened bread. And they put the kids over at a small table with some chicken nuggets and some goldfish crackers. And said, we're going to go do adult stuff over here and you guys go over there. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then we'll reassemble, you know, I guess when we need to leave. I know that, I know that, I know that sometimes it can be distracting to have children here with us but this is the reason why we do it. I know that it would be easier for you to listen to a sermon without being distracted by children. Do you understand that preachers, if I had my preference, I would also prefer to preach to undistracted, attentive adults? <laughs> uh, we, I, I still remember a friend of mine a long time ago, but Uh, He was preaching at a small country church and and there was no nursery or anything. He was just like, had to stop the service. He couldn't handle anymore. We understand that children can be distracting. What's the alternative? That while we sing songs to God and admonish one another and teach one another with songs that we would send the kids away, how are they going to ask? How are they going to ask? We'll... Are we we're supposed to come away to a quiet place where where only the adults pray? Uh, and how are they they're going to get to learn how to pray from from people hearing people pray? That's how I learned to pray, hearing other people pray. How are they going to hear about Jesus Christ? It, it doesn't mean that we can't share Jesus Christ with them in a, in a number of ways, but we are preaching through the scriptures. And yes, a lot of it is going over their heads, and a lot of it is not. Especially when you add together the, the 500 or so sermons that, that a child is going to hear if they go to church every Sunday from birth until they're 10 years old. Let me tell you what. I think that we are starting to see the evidence of what it looks like for somebody to hear 500 sermons, 500, 500 explanations of what the Bible means. How are they going to ask about baptism or the Lord's Supper if they never see it? Understand the, the, the distraction level and the difficulty of it. And that uh, keeping your own little nursery in the pew, that that's difficult sometimes. But how are they going to ask if they never see how are they gonna know about Jesus? How are they gonna follow Jesus? How are they gonna to know to 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 live by God's word if they never see? They get to see, they get to they get to sing, they get to hear, they get to see other their parents worshiping God and see other God in ways that they can understand. And in fact, we already have that all over our church. Do you know where that happens? At your house. Around your table. That means, you understand, you see what's happening here? You're taking a, a, a way of doing life that is common to humanity, that's common especially to those who, who are followers of Jesus Christ and sit around the table with your children. That's a good first start. And then the second part of that is seek opportunities to explain. I mean, I think this, this is an example. You're waiting for the children to ask. That's an example of how you might teach it. But I don't think you're supposed to sit there and wait. You, you seek ways to cultivate and to teach. We have age-appropriate and age-targeted teaching, Bible teaching in our church. It's what parents are doing with their children, hopefully on a daily basis. And it is as simple as eating dinner as often as you can together, uh, talking about the sermon or reading a chapter of the Bible or a a paragraph of the Bible or telling a Bible story and praying together and explaining what the Bible means. Listen, you can do that. You're a father, you're a mother, you can do that in your house. You can do that as well as any uh, youth pastor or children's pastor or Sunday school teacher. You can do that. That's the plan for explaining to your children And it doesn't matter what other ways are out there. There's no substitute for that. You need to do it. You see God's plan for passing it on from generation to generation. Just look uh, at the very end here at that last verse. The Israelites, they went and did what Moses and Aaron commanded them to do. One of the things that we have in what we call lots of times the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Uh, that we would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. You know, that's a rite. That's a, a ritual or ceremony that we perform that has a message behind it. it. It is an outward symbol of what is happening in their lives. That they're, they're moving away from their old life and living a new life of, of obedience to Jesus Christ. And then the next part is that we would teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. The focus for us is to obey what Jesus said. We certainly have the scriptures. We have the scriptures that come through Moses and Aaron and, and, and uh, all the human authors of the scripture. Ultimately, they come from God. We are to live by and observe and obey what Jesus has commanded. If he says, do this in remembrance of me, we, we do it and we remember. If he tells us to walk this way and live this way and love one another and care for one another and bear one another's burdens, then we live that way. We seek to do that. If he tells us to tramp our children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, we do that. If he tells us that uh, Romans 15, you are already I know that you are already able to instruct one another, to speak the truth to one another in love, Ephesians 4, we do that. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. First Thessalonians, remember that. Remember what Jesus commanded us to do. We live by that. We live to trust and worship and obey and love Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb who died for our sins. Let us trust in Him and obey His Word. Let's pray together. Uh, Father... uh, We praise you for the way that you communicate with us, to us, in ways that we can understand through old history and institutions and rites and forms and songs and poems and letters and gospels and stories and we love you and we praise you that you are a God who comes down and accommodates yourself to our way of understanding and that you have made yourself known through your word. Please grant that we would know you through this book of the Bible, through Exodus, that we would know you through the way that Jesus Christ is revealed here that he is our Passover lamb. Please grant that we would trust in him. That we would not depart from him. That we would not look for anything else. That we would not look for anything better. That there is nothing better than Jesus. There is no one better than Jesus. There is no God like you. No God who is able to save. No God who is able to keep us alive. And give us eternal life. Please grant that we would trust in him as our lamb. We obey everything that you command us to do. We would obey everything that Jesus commands us to do. That we would obey your word. And you would bring us into your kingdom. Thank you for setting us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.